In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Leviticus. We're going to cover chapters 7 and 8. Um, so far, we've spoken about the five main uh, offerings in the first few chapters of Leviticus. Does anyone remember the names of all of the offerings we've talked about? Grain offering is one. Burnt. Hmm? Trespass offering. Burnt offering. Burnt offering. Peace offering and sin offering. Good. Um, and so we spoke about the variations of all these different offerings, what each one was for. Uh, and why it was uh, instituted by God and how people would um, would perform it. Um, we also spoke in a little bit more detail last time, which was specifically addressing the priests and how is it that they would operate, what is it that they would do during the offering. We spoke more detail about the sin offering, and then we spoke about the trespass offering, uh, and then also the burnt and grain offerings. There's more details given in the last chapter um, that we just studied last week. So God willing, today we're going to continue. Uh, in chapter 7 uh, with more information about the offerings and then as well as some other rules that God is giving to the people. So he says, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. So again, as before, as we said in, the, in, in chapter 6, um, this is like revisiting the offerings but speaking specifically to the priests about what is it their role and how is it they should perform the offering. Um, in the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering and its blood he shall sprinkle all around the altar. This is repeated from Leviticus chapter 6. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Now if you remember, we spoke about all of this before. W what is it, the part that gets burnt and given to God? The fat, right? Because the fat is the best part of the animal. So whenever they would come and bring the animal, the animal who is without blemish, and they would remove the fatty parts of the animal, and they would burn that to God um, as an offering to him. Every male among the priests may eat it. So of the rest of the animal, right? This is now of the trespass offering. Of the rest of the animal, every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So when the priest is, is offering it, um, the, the, one, the priest who is offering, he shall eat of the, the offering. And then it says, every male among the priests. So even like others who are the, the, the males among the priest's families and so, they can, they can also eat of it. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be, shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. Okay, So here where it says every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry. Do you remember when it would be mixed with oil and when it would be dry? These are actually two different offerings, even though it's calling it here the grain offering because in both offerings there's grain. But one offering that's called the grain offering is for one purpose. And then there was another offering where you could offer grain if you didn't have the animals that were being asked to offer. Do you remember when we spoke about this last time? Well, the, the, so there were there were three animals that could be offered. Like you could offer the bull, you could offer the, uh, of the of the herd, you could offer of the flock, like the goats and the sheep. You could offer the birds, or you could offer the grain offering, if you didn't have that. And which offering was that? That you you, could, you had those four options. Remember, the sin offering. Okay, the sin offering. So what's the difference between the grain offering? that you're offering as a grain offering versus the grain that is offered as part of the sin offering.
Yes, the oil, right? So when you offer a grain offering, you're offering it as uh, an offering of thanksgiving to God for his provision. So you're essentially taking some of the grain or some cakes that have been baked with the grain and you're offering them to God saying we are thanking you because you are providing our sustenance and our food, right? And so the grain that was being offered in the grain offering would be mixed with oil and frankincense so that when it would be burned, it would make like a sweet smelling aroma. And it said it would make a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. Okay, so it's like uh, like a beautiful offering that is offered out of like love to God, okay, and thankfulness to God. The sin offering, however, was an offering for sin. So it was not mixed with oil or incense, and it was burned as is, and it is not a s th there was no sweet aroma to it, right? Because sin is bitter, right? So it's like an it's like an offering that is made for the forgiveness of sin. There was no oil or or any kind of ar aroma in it when it would be burnt. Okay, so just so we can be clear, here when it says the grain offering, one of them is the official grain offering. The other one is the grain that can be offered as part of the sin offering. Those are the two, and one of them is mixed with oil, and one of them is dry. Okay? This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. Okay? Now, there <coughs> there's more detail given here. We talked about peace offering before. But now there is more detail that is to be given, okay? So the peace offering, which we had spoken about before, was of the animals, right? There was the animals that were being offered as the offering. But there was also a food offering that was being offered along with the animal, okay? That was not mentioned before. Th and there's three types of food offerings, okay? There's three types of food offerings that could be offered along with this peace offering, okay? Which is the animal three types. The first one is for thanksgiving, offered in response to God's blessing in general, like a thank being thankful to God. You're making the peace offering. You're also offering a food offering along with it for thanksgiving. The second type of food offering that would be offered along with the peace offering is for making a vow. This was an optional offering that was performed when a man makes a vow to God, like you're asking God to grant you something and you make an offering to God, like asking God to fulfill your request. Okay, this is the second type of food offering. And then the third, which is called a free will offering, this is also an optional offering used to thank God for some success or profit that has been received. Okay, so again, you have the peace offering, which we spoke about before. Along with that peace offering, there would be food offering that is offered, and it could either be for thanksgiving, for the fulfillment of a vow, or as a free will offering. Okay, if he offers it for thanksgiving, this is the first of the three. Then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, because remember there's an animal being sacrificed, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord, it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Okay, so what do we have here? If the peace offering is being offered for thanksgiving, you will offer the animal sacrifice as we have discussed previously. In addition to that, you will offer this um, uh, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Okay? Um, besides the cakes, you shall also offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering okay so these leavened cakes were to be eaten together with the meat but none of it was to touch the altar because actually the the rule about using the leaven said that no leaven was was allowed to be touched the, uh, to touch the altar in leviticus chapter 2 verse 11 it says no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So anything that was to be burned on the altar, there was to be no leaven in it. Okay, But in this case, these unleavened cakes were to be eaten, and so they could have leaven. This was to be eaten by the priests and not given to the Lord. Um, also, leavened bread was used in the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Pentecost. So this is the not the only place um, or leaven is used. If the, this peace offering is being offered for thanksgiving, then there was three components. The first was the animal sacrifice. 
The second was the grain offering, which was the unleavened cakes or wafers mixed with oil. And then the third was the leavened bread, okay, that would be given to the priest to eat. So these three components, whenever you're offering, a peace offering for thanksgiving, okay? The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow, so this is now the second type of peace offering. If it's not for thanksgiving, but it's for a vow. Uh, or it's a voluntary offering or free will offering. It shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it may also be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. So the, 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 the sacrifice had to be eaten within a certain amount of time or else it would be burned. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, because by then it's supposed to be burned. Nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. Okay? So the first kind, which was the peace offering for thanksgiving, would be eaten completely on the same day that it's offered. Okay? The other two kinds, the second and the third kind, could uh, also be eaten on the same day, but any leftovers may be eaten the next day, but anything that remains for the third day would to be burned and not to be eaten. Okay? The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. Now he's speaking about like the, the some of the cleanliness rules, the cleanness rules. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh... All who are clean may eat of it, but the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. So the idea of there being certain things, and again, we haven't gotten all the details of these cleanness rules of what things are would make someone ceremonially unclean that is still to come in Leviticus. But if somebody is ceremonially unclean, then they cannot even touch the peace offering or make the offering of the peace offering until they first cleanse themselves. And if they did, then they would be cut off from the people. They would be like excommunicated from the assembly of God. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Okay? And the, the purpose of this was that there would first be internal purity, like the person would be internally clean, before coming to offer something for external reconciliation to God. Because you're saying the, the idea of the peace offering is that you are coming to make peace, right? You're, you're, you're being reconciled with God and you're being reconciled with the people. So before you make that step of being reconciled to God, you're first wanting to be purified in yourself and come after being purified to make reconciliation, right? And that was the purpose of the peace offering. So everyone coming to offer had to already be ceremonially clean. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall, you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Actually, this was a question that we had earlier on, and I think I, I didn't answer it correctly. Um, the idea that the person was not supposed to eat fat, this isn't just including the animals that were being offered as sacrifice. This was all animals. You could not eat the fat of any animal because the fat was always reserved for God. Okay? Um, and in Leviticus 3.17, it said, This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. So the idea of not eating fat was not just the fat that would be cut out of the animal and burned to God as part of the offering, but it's saying here, even if uh, an animal dies naturally or an animal is killed by another animal uh, and you're going to eat that animal, you cannot eat the meat, uh, sorry, the fat. You can eat other parts of the animal. You can use the fat in other means, right? But you cannot eat of it. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Okay, so again reiterating the idea of there's no eating of blood. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord, 
shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. Okay, so he is offering the sacrifice of his peace offering, right? Shall bring his offering to the Lord. His, his own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, and the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Okay, so the fat is burned before God. The person has to bring the animal that they are going to offer on their own because it's a sacrifice. Like when I'm making a sacrifice, I am sacrificing something. Like I'm taking something that belongs to me, something that has value, and instead of using it for myself, I'm offering it to God, right? And this tells us something about how is it that we are being reconciled, right? We are being reconciled to God by offering ourselves to God, right? We are, we are offering ourselves. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ did, is he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross to God. Um, but the part of the animal, which is the, the breast, is eaten by the priests. This, unfortunately, is what became, and we read about it in the New Testament, as a source of uh, corruption uh, by like the, the, the Pharisees. right? Because what is it that they would do? Is the people who are coming to Jerusalem in order to offer sacrifice, they would have to have an animal, right? And many of them were traveling from other places, like other places around in the country. So instead of them bringing an animal with them, right, they would buy the animal that they were going to offer when they arrived in Jerusalem. And Bethlehem was the place where um, all of the animals were raised in order to be offered as sacrifice. And this is actually a nice symbolism because the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Right, this is what Bethlehem means, like the house of meat. Also means house of bread, but we, but it also means house of meat. House of meat because that's where all of the sacrifices came. Um, so so the 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 people would raise animals simply to sell them for sacrifice. Okay, um, and so whenever now it's time for someone to offer the sacrifice, they would they would have to buy it, and the the people who were there would sell them for like exorbitant prices because they knew they were like price gouging just like people who like raise the price of gas after a hurricane like it's the same concept people who are coming to offer sacrifice they would raise the prices because people would have to buy the sacrifice at that time in order to offer it from their own animal okay um, and that was one of the things that the lord was very upset about when he came in he overthrew the tables of the money changers because what is it that they were doing they would first say well if you want to buy from the animals uh, for the sacrifice first you'd have to exchange your money into the temple money and they would charge very high exchange rates and then once you get the temple money then you could buy the animal with the temple money uh, and then that money you 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 you're that animal then you would use for the sacrifice so it was this whole transaction thing with middlemen wanting to make money um, for this and this is what made the Lord very upset right about what is it that he saw when he came to the temple and he saw the money changers um, so this is uh, again he's saying that the person who's offering the sacrifice has to bring it with his own hand. His own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. Also, the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering. Do you remember what the heave offering is? It's about the heave offering and the wave offering. What is the heave offering? When you heave, what is the heaving? Huh? Like where you where you lift something up like this, it's heaving. You ever not heard of heaving? You've heard someone say like heave ho. <laughs> okay, heaving is you raise it up. Waving, you know what waving is. Do you not know what it is to wave either? Waving. Okay. Um, <coughs> he among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. So the priest would take the right thigh. For the breast of the wave offering, waving, and the thigh of the heave offering, I have taken from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. So like we said, again, the priests were supported by financially and through their food, them and their families, through the sacrificial system. So all the people who were coming to make sacrifices, the priests would eat of the sacrifices that were being brought to them. That was the portion that was made for them. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses pre uh, presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. 
The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generation. So again, as a reminder to support the priests, like the, the priests, again, they didn't have inheritance of land. They dwelt in all of the different territories of Israel. And God wanted to remind the people that it was their responsibility to support the priest who was necessary for their spiritual life. Right, that God ordained them for the purpose of the forgiveness and the salvation of the people, and that all of this um, could only could only happen if the people were offering, right, uh, of their tithes, uh, of their animal sacrifices, in order to sustain the priests, in order to sustain the temple, and so on. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering the consecrations and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day which he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Okay, so all, of the, all through the first seven chapters, we're talking about the various offerings and the details of them. We've revisited some of the offerings several times. We've gone into more detail about specifically what was the role of the priests in, in various offerings. Um, and so, so God gave all of the, the, those five main offerings that, um, that he gave. Do you remember the five again? What? Peace, burnt, grain, trespass, sin. Okay. And what's the heave offering? Like this. And the, the wave offering? Yeah. And, and those were not separate offerings. That was just the movement that you would do when you're offering something. When you're offering the grain or you're offering the, the, the parts of the animal, you would do certain, certain, certain movements like that, that God is asking them to do. Okay? All right. Chapters 8 through 10 now are focusing on the laws of consecration and the consecration of the priests. Okay? So, again, to emphasize that God had chosen only certain people to be priests. Um, and this was something that was played out several times in the history of Israel. Whenever somebody was unhappy with the selection that God had made, that only the sons of Aaron would be priests, and they would try to take this upon themselves and to act as the priests themselves, they would be met with disaster. Okay? Uh, and every single time, whether an individual person, whether a group of people, in every way, God was making it very clear that he's the one who chose the priest and no one else can be a priest. Right? And, and, and he chose them according to their lineage, right? So he's choosing all of those who are the sons of Aaron from the tribe of Levi to be the priests. And not just this, saying it's not just enough that you be uh, from a certain lineage, but then you have to be consecrated, meaning there is a ritual that is to be performed on the people who are to serve as priests, okay? And we mentioned this before when we're speaking about the sacraments. Like, why is it the priest wears a certain dress well, because there's no way otherwise for a person to know that he is a priest. I'm speaking about like New Testament now, right? If, if a priest was wearing just regular clothes like everybody else, there's no way to identify that this person has received the gift of the priesthood through ordination, right? So by, by appearing different, right, they are easily identified, right, that this person has received this gift, the sacrament of the priesthood. So also there is these rituals of consecration, and the priest would also d dress in a certain way, in order to identify them as priests. And of course, their dress was very symbolic. Um, we spoke in detail about the dress. We're going to just mention it briefly here, but we spoke in more detail about the dress of the priests when we studied the book of Exodus, when God initially gave all of the rules about how the clothing of the priests was to be done. Here, it's kind of like reiterating again, um, like uh, with not in as much detail, right? Not, not in as much detail. Um, so, again, the idea here of the priest is the priest is the one who is offering the sacrifice. So a person would bring the sacrifice, the priest would offer the sacrifice to God on behalf of the person for the forgiveness of that person's sin. But Aaron and the sons of Aaron, the, his lineage, the priests, they are like symbolically showing what is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ is the great high priest and he is the one who offered his own self as the sacrifice. So he was both the priest and the sacrifice, right? Whereas here, of course, the sacrifice is separate from the priest. Um, in this chapter, the, the ritual is broken up into six parts, okay? The first part is just the preparation for the ritual of consecration uh, of the priest. 
The second was the ceremonial washing that would happen before the consecration. Then there would be the putting on of the garments of the priesthood. Then there is an anointing with oil. Then there is a sanctification process uh, with sacrifices. And then finally there is the consecration that happens um, at, the, at the end. Yes. Yes, there were priests before Aaron, but they were not according to the order of Levi. So the most famous one is Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek, who we read about in Genesis, um, who just shows up out of nowhere to save uh, Abraham, okay? It says that he is a priest after the order. Uh, he, he's a priest, right? He says he is a priest, and, and, and there was no mention of priest before then. In what way was he priest? According to what, what rules did he operate as a priest? We don't know. Um, so this is like a formal um, establishment of the priest uh, in the law of God. But there were people who were considered priests before this, right? But, but this is God's rules for priesthood. There were other people who were priests that were not Jewish, like Jethro, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, Zipporah's father, right, who was a priest, okay? But he was not a priest of God. He was, uh, he, he was not Jewish. He was not a Hebrew, right? So his priesthood was completely separate. But when you're talking about like priesthood that, that is recognized, really the, the main one that, that pops out is Melchizedek. Okay. <coughs> okay, so first five verses is about the preparation. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he's saying, all the items that you're going to need in the consecration are, are, are thus. The garments of the priest, the oil, the animals that are to be sacrificed, unleavened bread, and the people. Right? And it's important. Why is it important that the people are present? It's on their behalf, yes, and the people need to know what? The people need to know that this ordination actually happened, right? And the same is true now. Like, you wouldn't have, like, for instance, the bishop has the authority to lay hands on anyone and to make them a priest through the laying of hands, right? But he never does so except when there is a liturgy. Right, except when there are people who are present to observe what it is that he's doing, because this person is going to serve the people as a priest, and so everyone has to identify them as a priest. So that way, you don't have a person pop up. No one has ever observed him being ordained at any time, right? And he says, "I am a priest." Well, tell me when you were ordained and when the bishop was ordained you. Which church was it in? Who was present? Who was witnessing that this ordination happened? Right? If you had a priest who was um, ordained in private. Right? There would be no way for anyone to verify that they are actually ordained as a priest. Yes. So in the New Testament, whenever the high priest is passed from one guy to his son-in-law and all that during the time of Christ, right? All of that was done, um, and this is for the high priest. I, I'm just my question is where the is this also applicable to the high priest ordination? Like that, the, all the people have to be gathered together. And if so, how 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 did people recognize that this guy was the high priest, even though he wasn't, like he didn't follow any of this, right? Yeah, the high priest would be ordained the same way. So how did people let it pass, like slide that that the high priest, because it would happen. So during the time of Christ, the high priest wasn't um, like it was changed, right? Now the high priest could without change without without the death of the previous high priest. So what could happen is is um, there would be a new high priest that's ordained. Let's say let's say the, the previous high priest is like getting to the point where they can't serve because they're too old or something like that. And then they would choose the next high priest and that other high priest would remain kind of like as a emeritus. Kind of like you had Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict is the Catholic Pope who, after he left being a Pope, and Pope Francis became Pope, but he became known as the Pope Emeritus. He's still Pope but without the authority of the Pope. He's like he has the title of it, but he doesn't have the authority of it. Something like that, yeah. 
This would actually happen with kings as well in the Old Testament. Like you could have a person who um, like got to the point where there is a new king ordained, even though he's still alive, right? But there is a new king ordained, like his son, and he's still there kind of like with an honorary title and living in the palace and whatnot, but he is technically not the one who's actually serving as the king at that point. Yeah. There is an interesting story, actually. Maybe many of you are aware of it. Um, back to the point of what I was saying about ordi ordinations being in public. Do you know of an example where someone was, like, had his hands laid on for ordination in private? No, not in Bible, in the history of the church. He, Pope Shnuda. Pope Shnuda, but not, f not for his pope, for him being a bishop, right? So what happened is he went to go visit Pope Krolos at the time, all right, and he was still a priest. He was not a bishop yet. Um, and Pope Krolos had wanted to ordain him to be bishop. But um, uh, bi uh, Father uh, Antonius, right, Antonius, he didn't want to be bishop, right? So uh, suddenly, the Pope Krolos just puts his hand on him and ordains him a bishop on the spot, like right there in his office, um, kind of without him even being aware, right? So it was done. But but they still had the ceremony in church. Like, they still did everything in church so everyone could see, right? But he did it for him right then, right? Like, when he met him. Um, just interesting fact. Okay. Oh. Um, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. So the people are now, it's important to realize that the people here don't know anything. Everything is coming to them through Moses, right? Moses is the one going to them saying, God has said um, that we will do this. God has said that we will make the tabernacle. God has said that there will be priests. God has said this is how you're going to do the, the burnt offerings, you know, all the offerings. Like everything Moses is telling them, exactly what God is saying. The people are there and because Moses called them and said, God has said you're going to come and observe the ordination of the priests, okay? This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then this is the second part, which is the washing of water. Um, then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. So this is a purification, right? So that the person who is coming to be ordained is cleansed and pure for the role that they are about to take, which is a role that requires purity and holiness because they are supposed to be an example of purity and holiness to all of the people. Uh, origin, he says, the washing of the priests before putting on their priesthood attire refers to the importance of an overall washing in the water of baptism to be clothed with the Lord Christ, then of the need for continuous washing from evil through isolation from it to be always worthy of being clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this necessary step and origin here is likening it to the waters of baptism, like we are being purified in, in baptism. Okay, then the next step is the garments. Okay, putting on the garments of the priest. And, uh, and I'm going to show you a picture of this. Um, and this is, again... This part was discussed in much more detail in the book of Exodus. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, put the ephod on him, and girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So all of this is described in Exodus 28 through 29 uh, in, in Exodus 28 verse 4 it says and these are the garments which they shall make a breastplate an ephod a robe a skillfully woven tunic a turban a sash so they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his son so they may minister to me as priest okay so here we see um, if I can zoom in here okay um, so the the there were there were several garments um, so there's underneath is the tunic, so you can see there it's labeled as tunic, the white, um, the white like undergarment, and then on top of that is the robe, okay, and then on top of that is the ephod, okay, which is the th like the, the the one on top of that. So there's three layers of garments here. The white is the tunic. Above that you can see that blue is the robe, and then the fancy one on top of that is the ephod. Now you know why priests get hot. Um, then the priest is girded with the sash, okay, around his waist. And then he has the breastplate, which is that square with these 12 stones. Each one of the stones represents one of the tribes of Israel, showing that, like, the priest is carrying all the people of Israel on him. 
right? Because he is responsible for their salvation. Also, the Urim and the Thummim uh, are on the breastplate. They're not displayed here. Uh, but the, you, you know what the Urim and the Thummim are? Yes. So, like, for instance, you could ask God a yes-no question, and he would respond somehow through the Urim and the Thummim. Right? There would be a way for the people to communicate with God. And something that the priest would carry on him in order for the people to come to the priest to get the will of to know the will of God. And there are many times in the Old Testament where it says it says the people uh went and um uh like uh what is the word? They um they like consulted with God or they, they requested from God. How is it that they would do that? They would do it oftentimes through the Urim and the Thummim. Okay. There's actually one, one. it doesn't say it explicitly, but in the story of uh, Achan, Achan, the one who had taken of the accursed items from Jericho, um, and, and it said when they were trying to figure out uh, who is it on whose behalf that God had cursed the people, it said that they first narrowed it down to a certain tribe and then narrowed it down to a certain family and then kept narrowing it down, narrowing it down until it got narrowed down to this man, right? How did they narrow it down? Well, Potentially, they could have narrowed it down by consulting the Urim and the Thummim, right? By essentially saying, is it this tribe, is it this tribe? And then God eventually would tell them how to narrow it down until they got to the person. It doesn't say that explicitly, but that could be a way that they found out this, okay? Um, then the turban or the crown on the top and engraved on it is holiness to the Lord. This is what it would say um, on the turban that the priest would wear on their head, okay? So this is very briefly kind of an, an overview of the clothing of the priest. So the, the priest would then put on the garment. So what was the first step? It was the preparation of all the materials. Okay, what was the second step? The washing. The third step is the person to be ordained priest would put on the garments. Okay, the next step is the anointing with oil. It says, also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. So he anointed the tabernacle. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. So this was also the consecrating of the tabernacle itself, which was done once at the beginning. Okay. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay, now there is going to be the sacrifice that is offered, okay? And he brought the bull for the sin offering. So this is a sin offering that is being offered. Remember we said what is the difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering? The sin offering is for any um, general sin that was committed that isn't necessarily explicitly breaking one of the laws, whereas the trespass offering is I broke this particular rule and I am offering it. Oh. Yes. So here the sin offering that's being offered for the priest is not because last Thursday the priest did a certain sin. This is the general sinfulness of the priest, right? As a, as a weak human being who has a sinful nature, we are asking for God's forgiveness, not because for a very specific sin that was committed, right? It was for the forgiveness of sin in general. Okay, so he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hand on the head of the bull for the sin offering. Why did they do that? Because they are like symbolically transmitting their sin to the animal that is to be slaughtered, right? Because who is it that should be slaughtered? Who is it that should die because of the sin? The person who commits the sin, right? But the whole forgiveness sacrificial system was designed so that the person who sins isn't the one who dies. I sin, but God has mercy on me and accepts someone else to die on my behalf. And again, this is why the concept of like the sacrificial death of Christ on behalf of the people should have been something so ingrained in the mind of the Jewish people that they should understand it very, very well. The idea that some somebody dies on behalf of somebody else, this is something that they had lived with for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the whole sacrificial system was based on this. That an animal would come, you would lay your hand on it, your sin would be transferred to the animal, and that animal would die, right? Instead of you. So 
he laid hands on the head of the bull and Moses killed it and then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar and he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and Moses burned them on the altar. So again, the fatty part of the animal is burned on the altar, given to God. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, which is its entrails, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, we talked about this when we talked about the sin offering, that when the, when the, 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 the offering is made on behalf of the priest, it is burned outside of the camp. Yes. When the, when the offering, when the sin offering is made on behalf of the priest, the rest of the animal that was not burned is burnt outside of the camp and not eaten by the priest. Well, because there isn't a priest yet. This is, the f this is the first priests that are to be consecrated. Yeah. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar. So the second offering they're making is a burnt offering. The first one was a sin offering, now it's a burnt offering. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Remember, in the burnt offering, what happens? Everything is burnt. So this animal, everything is burnt. Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, notice how there is the one offering, which is the burnt offering, which is called what? The sweet aroma. But the sin offering, it didn't say sweet aroma. Because the burnt offering and the peace offering were like offerings that we are offering to God, like for his goodness, for his provision, for thanksgiving. Right? Um... But but so it's not for it's it's not it's not for sin, okay. But the sin offering was offered for sin, and there was no sweet aroma. And even as we said earlier, when the grain is being offered as a sin offering, it's not mixed with oil. But when the grain is offered as a separate grain offering, it is mixed with oil. So grain offering for Thanksgiving, sweet aroma. Grain offering as sin offering, no sweet aroma. Okay. Yeah. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. This is now a special ram that is used specifically for consecration. We haven't talked about this one yet. This is not part of the other offerings. This is called the ram of consecration. An, a ram that is killed, and, and the blood of, of the animal is used to anoint the the priest himself okay as a consecration for his role as priest then he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of the right ears on the thumbs of the right hands and on the big toes of the right feet and Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar okay so this is again sanctifying and consecrating the entire person that's the blood is from the top to the bottom then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in the son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Which one is the wave offering? Do it. Do this thing. <laughs> okay. Don't get confused. What is the heave offering and wave offering? Okay. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. So what did they do with everything after they waved it? They burned it. Okay. Everything was burned. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. So actually, it's interesting. Moses here, even in this, because he is the one officiating these offerings, he himself gets a part, right? Moses uh, Moses' part of the ram of consecration. Yes. Then 
Because Moses was the prophet, and the prophet had a different role than the priest, right? What was the role of the priest, and what was the role of the prophet? The, the priest was offering to the Lord, and the prophet was, like, exchanging the messages between the people and God. Right. So the prophet's role was communication between God and the people. He would hear whatever God wants to say and tell the people, right? Whereas the priest is the opposite. He's like taking what the people want to say and give it to God. That's why he's interceding for them. He's taking the prayers of the people and bringing it to God. He, there he's interceding on behalf of the people and praying for them and praying for their salvation and the forgiveness of their sins to God. That was the priest, right? That's why he was the one involved with all the sacrificial system. Where the prophet's role was God tells him what to do and he goes and does it. Or he goes and tells the people what he's supposed to say. But he's been doing both. Well, because because he's establishing this for the first time, oh. right? Like why this. But why not just have him be both? Like why? Because because God was not establishing just one priest. He was establishing a whole priest system, right? So that there could be more priests than just one, right? And also, like there would be times where there were no prophets, right? So there 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 were times where um, the, the the prophets were there was no prophets, but there was always priests. Because the people always needed to offer for sacrifice, even if there was no direct revelation that God is wanting the people to know at that time. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said, so, so Moses, so the, son, the Aaron and the sons are consecrated and also their garments are being consecrated. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of beating for seven days until the days your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. So what, is they, what do they do after they're consecrated? Stay inside the temple, okay, for seven days. Why? Because now it's saying... Like, this new life that they have is completely tied with the tabernacle. Like, their sustenance, their life is now the tabernacle. Everything that they're going to do is related to the tabernacle, right? Because they are, they are bringing, the people that are bringing the sacrifices, and they are officiating all of these rules that we've spoken about for the sake of the people, and that was their job every single day, right? So this is part of their consecration. Similar to kind of how, like, a person who is consecrated a priest today like the night before they're consecrated a priest, they can sleep in the church, like some people will do this. And then 40 days after, um, for 40 days after their, their ordination, they remain in the monastery, right? So it's a type of like establishment of the consecration of this person ha now. Like they don't just go back home as though like it's just another day. It's like a special event that's happened. Um, and, and everything about them, their sustenance, their food, their life, like everything about them actually, like, all of the source of food now that is going to come to these priests is going to come through the sacrifices. All of the money that they would receive in whatever way is going to come through the tithes. Everything about their life, their sustenance is, is, is supported by their role as priests, right? Not through any other way. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore, you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And the last thing that I want to say, this is the end of the, ch of the chapter, but this part here where it says, so that you may not die. Like, it seems like a very uh, harsh and scary thing to hear. Um, like, you have now been ordained and consecrated as a priest, and you must do everything that the Lord has asked you to do so that you may not die. Like, the role that the priest had was so important and critical for the salvation of the whole people. And that's why God commanded them and told them, like, this is your calling, um, and this is what you must do, and if you don't do it, you will die. And the interesting thing about this, this is not an elective job. 
Like this isn't something that certain people felt like, you know what, I want this life. I want the life of consecration. They had no say in it whatsoever. It's like if you were born of the sons of Aaron, you were a priest. Um, and that was your life. Right? So you see, like, even the way that God called people to certain roles, it wasn't even in their ability to refuse it. Right? Whether you were a prophet, whether you were a priest, this was God, what God created you for. Sometimes we have a very much like an attitude where I decide for myself my destiny. I decide for myself what I'm going to do with my life. Right? And certainly, I mean, obviously we have choices that we make. But we see how God creates us for a purpose. Right? And our, our role should be to discover the purpose. What is it that God had created me to be? What are the talents that God has given me that he wants me to use? Rather than to be like, yeah, well, I can be whatever I want. Yes, we can be. Right, but who's going? We find fulfillment in discovering what is it that God has chosen for us to be, and then that is the thing that will bring us the greatest success and the greatest happiness in in what we are doing. Um, certainly, the role of the priest, especially in the Old Testament, was a very grueling and it was a very messy job. You think about like having to sacrifice animals all day, right? It was a very messy job. It was a very difficult job. It was a burdensome job, um, but it was a very important job and something that. God here was establishing for the salvation of all the people. And again, as a, uh, a symbol for the great high priest who is to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was um, the one who offered himself as sacrifice for everyone. Any final questions or comments? Okay. Glory be to God forever, man. You can pray. <coughs> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, O Lord, for revealing to us all of the rules that you have set forth for the ordination of your priests and for all of the offerings that you have called us to offer to you for those in the Old Testament. We thank you, O Lord, because you have granted us this knowledge and this understanding. Please help us, O Lord, to be an offering and to offer ourselves to you day and night in every way that is pleasing to you as a sweet-smelling aroma. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy and for the forgiveness of our sins. Grant us, O Lord, that we will be pleasing to you in all things. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the community, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.